Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. The game's over. You're listening to Cinepunked, interactive discussions for film lovers. This episode... We didn't burn him! I'm Robert J. Simpson. I'm Rachel Kelly. I'm Ben Simpson. So tonight we are going to be talking about what is unashamedly one of my uh, favourite films possibly ever. Um, I have to admit, I wrote my MA thesis on on this. Uh, This is the 1973 Robin Hardy-directed film... The Wicker Man, starring Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, uh, Britt Ackland, Ingrid Pitt, and a host of other people uh, whose names temporarily elude me. But this is a, a film which has is, is, uh, had a longevity, I think, uh, that far probably surpassed its its period. It was a, a troubled production, um, had a troubled release originally through um, through British Lion in the UK, and it has become something of a landmark, an icon, not only within horror cinema, but within cinema itself. Now, uh, Rachel, this is your first time watching The Wicker Man. Yes, I have just lost my wicker virginity. So having had your wicker virginity taken, so uh, was it a pleasant experience? Was it unpleasant? Um, it was Can an I experience. Use like, like that? <laughs> it was an experience. Um, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. Uh, it was occasionally a very confusing experience. I wasn't always certain that I knew what was going on. I had to rewind a couple of times. Um, it's an engaging film. I, as I'll, it's never less than completely engaging. Um, it never lost me completely. Um, I think it's very much of its time, certainly. Um, I think it is completely different from anything that we would expect of a horror film, although I don't think one could c- categorise as anything other than a horror film as such. I mean, the, the feeling you're left with at the end is just, ex- it's extremely disturbing. It's what's, extraordinarily what, disturbing. What's her horror about it? You, you don't say it's horrible. Uh, it's, I mean, what, what, what is it that you expect to have in a horror film? Blood, guts, you know, I don't know. A, so Scary tension, I, I don't know. Okay. Know. So I, I, on this note, there is definitely blood within the Wicker Man. There is numerous occasions where we see dismembered parts of body. We, in fact, do see some guts. They are wrapped around a ruined tree in the graveyard. Oh, were those guts? Those oh, are right, guts. okay. That's a navel string. 
Oh, is that what they meant? Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah. So we actually literally have guts on this. We have a severed hand, the hand of glory that is on fire. Um, and ultimately, we have, you know, the best barbecue and horror cinema. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 I sort of halfway agree with Ben as well in that if we were to go through kind of the genre conventions of horror um, and try and apply those to The Wicker Man, it's, there's, there's a sense of tension all the way through, certainly. Um, I think it, it relies a lot on um, what would be considered the norms of 1970s British society, which are presumably, well, they're, they're considerably different from now. I mean, the, the whole sort of <gasps> horror paganism um, is probably something that we would not so much consider as as so completely disjunctive to what we're used to. Um, the, the ending, though, I think the ending just leaves me certainly feeling so unpleasant um, that, I mean, it was it, it's, it's still kind of with me. It's that kind of, oh, no, didn't like that at all. Um, that's what makes it horror for me anyway. I just must be totally desensitized <laughs> by modern horror yeah. fair enough but you do have to look at it within the context of the time I mean this is a film from it was shot in 1972 released in 1973 originally so this is a film that is you know 45 years old so this is not a, a current film now the way that cinema has gone on since then the way that sort of the censors have changed the attitudes has all developed and in its day, in its time, you know, it was quite revolutionary. This is not, um, so it has the presence of Christopher Lee here, which makes a lot of people assume this is a Hammer film because it's a British film and it's got Christopher Lee. That is not the case. This is not a Hammer production. Hammer, we're nowhere near it. Um, but what you have is you have a, a film that's coming out at the same time. It's not long after The Exorcist. Um, films like this, there is a sort of realism that is coming into horror cinema at the time. Are you I, calling it realism? Um, Yes, I probably would. Now, there is an element of... We, we've got a huge part of the supernatural in this, and for me, that's always when you're talking about gothic horror and, and you're talking about horror, there's a lot of, of, of supernatural involved. Um, but it's not just a case of, of sort of good versus evil. It's not a case of devils and demons. This is actually a case of one religion and another. And, I mean, most people would have, uh, I think, have an understanding that Christianity is, is a religion that, whether they agree with it or not, it's a religion they accept as, as sort of a normality. Paganism is, is something that I think increasingly we sort of understand as a normality as well as an alternative in amongst the, you know, this multi-faith society that we have. But paganism itself is, is sort of used as this, this supernatural other. Yeah. That's what it is. So that, that, and in fact, actually for most of the film, it is just about the rituals and it's about the beliefs. It's not up until the climax where actually there's something far more sinister really becomes very apparent. And even then, this is not, a film that needs the supernatural in order for it to work that's there in terms of their beliefs but actually every action that's taken place is um a realistic um yeah i mean real one. the 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 supernatural element is very much assumed isn't it mm. i mean it's it, it comes down to a question of whether or not you actually believe that these people can perform magic um which is it's, it's part of their religion it's part of their day-to-day -day experience of life but we don't see any magic performed. I mean, the, the, the horror is what that religion, uh, leads them to believe is acceptable, which. It's, what's about, it's about sacrifice, which is, yeah. which is a tenant that most people from any church going society, um, will recognize. I mean, we talk an awful lot about, you know, the Eucharist, um, you know, is, is about, you know, the, this kind of, 
if we're going to get Christian theology, you've got the Eucharist, which is itself, you know, the body and blood of Christ. So we've already we've got this idea of, of, of human mortal remains, and there's a great discussion between Lord Summerall and, and Sergeant Howe, between Christopher Lee and, and Edward Wooper's characters, um, over the various, various tenets of their religion itself and those kind of beliefs. Um, what you've got a lot, though, is um, I think it's about the symbolism more than anything else. So we kind of read the mystery and the magic into this by the symbolism and the ritual. But when you think about that symbolism and that ritual are no different, really, from the symbolism and ritual that happens in Christianity, which is something that most people accept as being, whether they believe it or not, you know, a normal religion in a very common And is that something that the film is trying to say, do you think? Um, is that a, a conscious decision of the film to kind of hold the two up together and say, look, they're not actually that different? Because I felt very much as though it was... Uh, othering paganism um, in the sense, you know, point and, and shock horror, look, these people don't even believe in God. Um, look, they're teaching children about phalluses and look, they're, they are performing phallic rituals and they're dancing around in the nip and they're having a nice little shag in the graveyard and um, they're, they're very sexually loose and, and I did feel like, um, although while I'm certainly not of the opinion, um, you can back me up or otherwise in this, that we are supposed to look at Edward Woodward's character and go, oh, yes, you are definitely our unproblematic hero. He's a bit of a dick, um, isn't he, though? Um, and I don't think we're supposed to look at him and go, actually, yes, you are the bastion of everything that's good, because his performance of that Christianity comes across as extremely isolating um, and... And, and a bit kind of fire and brimstone, but is that am I am I looking at that from a twenty first century perspective? Am I missing um, a nineteen seventies narrative here? Possibly. I mean, you, okay. you, you watched the which version of it? Did you the watch? director's cut? The director's cut. Okay. So, uh, Ben, which version have you seen? Do you know? I can't remember. Um, I think it was one of yours. It was in a wooden yeah the wooden box the wooden box yeah i have about four or five different copies and i have the work of man i am that doesn't uh, surprise me at all here i have about five different copies of blade runner so yeah <laughs> i go. can say nothing um which version was that and there's both versions in there so the theatrical cut was the one that was originally released in the uk and that's uh, about 80 something minutes long um but it basically starts with him arriving on the island. If you watch the director's cut, um it's about an extra 11 12 minutes and in the director's cut it actually opens with high in Scotland itself, so he's actually in Stranor Harbour. That seems familiar. So he's having a chat with another police officer, they're looking at some graffiti. I know though, um, and I was reading about this. Mm -hmm. So there is another cut that has those other bits in it, as far as I recall, because the director's cut, I... Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm actually, I'm, I'm arguing with an expert here and I shouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> my understanding was that um, the 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 sequence where he's actually speaking to the other police officer belongs to a cut that they were never able to fully restore. Am I wrong? Um, they've never been able to re to restore the full version of the right, film. So okay. over the years it, is, it, it exists in various forms, none of which is totally complete. Mm. So depending on which version you watch, there's slight differences in time, slight differences in the order that things happened. Um, I fell in love with the shortest version. Okay. Um, and it's, it's it's the one that people often don't like, but actually for me it, it makes perfect sense and it, it's, it's perfectly enjoyable. Um the director's cut adds a little bit more. It adds a lot more to how he's kind of faith, 
So you yeah. actually see him doing a bit of lay, a lot more lay preaching. Well, I saw that there was some he, he the the sequences in Scotland were him in the church and receiving the Eucharist. Um, okay. And the sequence, the one that I saw had the Gently Johnny sequence in it, yep. which I understood was excised from the original theatrical release. It was. It was. Um, because he was only on the island for forty eight hours or something in that. Um, I I did a study this a little while ago. Actually, I think he still ends up being on the island for three days. Okay. So there is an argument that in in the short version, the the, the discussion is always that he's only there for two nights. Um, but actually, there is a there is a third night, and there is one night, and the, uh, whatever it is that they've said, I think someone's missed something. I, uh, oh, okay. Someone's now going to listen to this podcast and tell I'm talking bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will go back to it, or I'll cut this bit out. Probably cut this bit out. Um, so there is those those scenes with Hyde. There's also a scene with him talking to another uh, police officer. There's a bit of graffiti on a wall that says "Jesus saves," and uh, Hyde's like, you know, there's a time and a place for that, and let's get it scrubbed off and we'll prosecute. And and he's very much seen to be someone who's very religious, but actually toe on the line. You know, he he believes that things have to happen in a particular way. So he is a very repressed individual who gets mm. thrown into the society that is somewhat more liberated. Now this is early 1970s. We're after the sexual revolution as well, so this is quite something that that was pretty common but we see the film through his eyes but there's never any kind of redemption arc for his character is there which i I don't know whether that makes me think more that he is supposed to be this uh figure of identification or whether he's supposed to be this extremely uptight person that you're supposed to go actually well i sort of recognize that a little bit but you're taking it too far there i've just had a crazy thought do you think he was selected to be put on that island? Okay, I actually know the answer to this one, but... Selected by whom? By Lord Summer Isle? To be, to be the sacrifice. Yeah, he is. Yeah? He's selected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you watch the film, um, basically he receives the letter personally. Now, there's no return address or such, but just it doesn't tell you who it is that sent it as such. But he's told, there's this little girl, this is where she is, and it's sent it directly to him. So they have already singled him out as being someone who's very pure, who's of the right faith, um, and who's a good, honest cop. Now, the island, we know, does have a trade with the mainland. Mm. So presumably at some point somebody has witnessed him in person and helped select him for this process. So they bring him over, they actually do invite him to the island. He then has to go through... Um, the whole series of rituals in order to end up as the human sacrifice. Spoiler, sorry. Um, so he 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 does go through a series of, of of rituals and challenges. It's a bit like actually, if you think about it, it's Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Ah, he is going okay. through that same process just to prove his purity. So you know, okay. What, so will I'm it, more and more coming around to the idea that, in actual fact, the film doesn't think there's anything wrong with its particular but, uh, brand of fire and brimstone Christianity. It, it, I, I think it actually sets both of them uh, as, as equally valid viewpoints. Now, it doesn't say that one is right and one is wrong. It just says this, this is my how he's like. This is my attitude, or somewhere else. This is my attitude because okay. they're both fairly extreme um, embodiments of uh, mm-hmm. one's religious faith. I mean, for him to to go in with that attitude of everything I say is right and everything you do is wrong um, versus Lord Summerall who is prepared to take his religion to the extent of of luring somebody to the island to burn him alive in order to make the crops come back. I mean, it's, it is, it's a study in religious extremism to an extent, isn't it? And you've got Howie there, he presents it as a very rational argument as well. So Howie then turns around to Lord Summerall and says, you know, wh- when the crops don't return, when the crops fail again, you know, next year they're going to come for you. And Lord Summerall's response is, the crops will not fail. And yeah, but I, d- I don't know. I wondered from that sequence. Is there a um, sequel to that? 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Wicker Man 2, where's all the apples? We're going to come back to that. <laughs> Rachel, you going to say something? Um, I did wonder um, to, to what extent uh, Lord Summerisle is kind of playing a part at that point because he did sort of seem, and I, what, it's, it's this kind of switching between playing parts and who's really who and, and masks and, and performance and so on and so forth. Mm. Is Lord Summerisle, is the real Lord Summerisle the guy who stands in his castle and talks to, um, Sergeant Howe about how you know, this is kind of a cynical move by his grandfather in order to get the people to stay here and do the work for him and, and love him? Uh, versus Lord Summerisle who stands on the cliff edge and goes the crops will return um, which which one does he actually believe? Um, I, I think he's somewhere between the two I think he's both I think it's this, if you draw the parallel again between that and, and a regular preacher you have a preacher who will stand up and we're, we, we live in Northern Ireland we, yes. are, <laughs> we, are, we, we know a thing or two about religious extremism <laughs> <laughs> so you know we'll have a preacher who will stand up there and will shout on a Sunday about you know a, a fire and brimstone speech about how we're all doomed if we do this that and the other and at the same time you know the next day you find that they're off uh, being photographed whilst in the nude in some field with a with a mistress or whatever um, and that's they, they don't see a, a kind of a separate they don't see those two things as being mm. um, in opposition at all like you know people do have those two existences I think that there is a, for whatever it is to be for your own end Okay so there's the, the performative aspect to the performance of faith Well the whole film is about performance when mm. you think about it Yeah. Oh yeah 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 totally Yeah. Like, absolutely and how himself we see as a performer because he's up there giving um, you know he's up there doing the Eucharist he is a, he is a lay preacher so he is giving a performance there. As a policeman, he's putting on a costume and he is as well performing his duties Okay. Uh, in the law. So he has to go back and go through a set of things, uh, which means that even when he's being tempted through a very thin wall by a, <laughs> a busy young... Nubile young Swede with a Scottish <laughs> accent. Aye, lovely willow. Um, whilst he's being tempted by the strumpet, um, you know, he is still you know very aware that he is there acting on behalf of the police force and so he has his duties and he cannot then conflict that and i think it's the policeman's duties probably get to him more actually than than being a christian do you think i think he is sorely tempted and i think well he's clearly sorely tempted but um i i mean when have you ever seen such agony on a man being tempted yeah that scenery was well chewed So I, I I think that 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 is there, um, but I uh, there's him and there's him going through that. But then there's also everybody else, and the whole thing is given performances so right from the moment he arrives. So they're already there when he arrives. They're all on the dock shore. So you're asking, was he was he invited? Yeah, yes, they picked him out. So they're all there waiting. That's his audience. That's his reception. He comes. They all kind of like, oh no, no, I don't know her. I, I have no idea who she is. I've never seen her before in my life. And they're all hiding behind boats and things uh, and note the boat with the big eye on it. The old thing. I did note the boat with the eye. Well, it was impossible to avoid because the director did make a point of doing close up, more close up of eye. Eye is significant. The old seeing eye, of course. Um, all right, okay. There's a lot. I, I'm going to take you back through this film. Then there's a yeah. lot of symbolism in this film, yeah. uh, and a lot of eyes. So there's always the idea that somebody's watching you. You've got the image of Noada, the sun god, um, as well. So you've got these eyes in his face that's that's everywhere. You know, you look at dead rabbits and things like this. There, there are eyes always, always watching. The camera often will sit there, um, hidden behind stuff, like looking through things. So again, you've got this sense that what we're seeing isn't actually High's point of view. It's almost like we're getting the view of some other islander who's just off camera that we can't quite see watching things. Yeah. 
and that becomes very apparent in the in sort of the chase at the end um where he is clearly being watched the whole time that was really unnerving actually i mean the chase although i did know what was coming and i was kind of stealing myself for this is not going to be fun to watch and i was right it was not fun to watch at all um i find the chase actually probably one of the most unnerving bits so far although i tell a lie Actually, one bit that I thought where I actually felt really unsettled was when Willow is bringing the young man up. She's she's sexually initiating um, our our young friend, um, and yeah, and and the, the the entire bar are downstairs singing, but their eyes are trained towards the ceiling. That was really creepy. So that that whole sequence is not in the theatrical mm, cut. No, um, I know, I, and I can see. Why? But I also think that cutting that demonstrates just how little the studio understood what they were working with. Well, it adds a whole other element, both to the sense of the inclusiveness of the village. The entire village are in on everything that goes it's on. It's almost like a hive mind. It totally is. And you've got yeah. Samuel outside um, uttering his poem. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, as, as we watch this close up of two snails mating, you know, Lord Summerall's outside kind of encouraging them mm. to, to, to get on. What's, as you say, you know, this young child is, is, is basically has his virginity taken from him. Um, and inside there's got this very tender, it, it, I actually find it's a very it's kind a of tender rem- song, but the way it's being performed is it's almost dead eyed vacancy while they stare up at the ceiling and it's just really i mean i i i don't quite know how to process that that kind of you know sense of um ritual performed but at, almost not disinterested because it's very very interested but in no way focused it's almost vacant um i just find it really unnerving we, we've been talking a lot on, on, on sort of our, our recent recordings as well um so depending on where you're listening to this it's either before this episode or after this episode um but we've been talking a lot about kind of you know uh, sort of female empowerment as well and and the kind of the, the me too debates and when you see a film like this it really sits in a very odd place in terms of how we actually look at that and the representation of sexuality because actually in many ways willow is it, she is a very sexually active and, and provocative character and yeah. while she is definitely stripped for the eyes of every male gaze in the place um she also holds all the power um as a character i think willow is incredibly strong i think as an actress um, Britt Eklund is disempowered and basically completely disempowered because she's positioned specifically for the male gaze. Look, here are my tits. Look, I am cavorting naked against a door. So I think you have to separate the actress from the character in this particular regard. We do. I mean, she's she's more than that. I mean, she's given somebody else's voice and somebody else's bum. Um, so she is completely, you know, mm. Britt Eklund herself is, is, is dis- disempowered that way. Um but I think there's also a, there's a nice contrast if you watch the, the sort of the, the director's cut between the body um, sort of uh, the, the body song that we have um, the landlord's daughter that the bar men are, that everyone in the bar is singing about her and then the gently Johnny which is actually a much more kind of you know you're in control Willow and then also Willow's how do yeah when when she's singing that her, her own kind of um, siren song yeah you know, to to entice Sergeant High. You know, there's an awful lot of interesting... Now, Ben, you are a musician. Yes. Um, a lot of this film is about music, and this is where I wish... Mm-hmm. <laughs> before you, I know that why shit almost made you listen to the soundtrack before we did this. Yeah, yeah, you probably should have, yeah. Just for a wee refresh. Oh, fucker. Um, 
Do you want? To, do you feel comfortable talking about the music at all? <sighs> do I need to stick a song on for you? Yeah, I think so. Sufficiently revived, not you. Like, what the fuck? I don't remember any of this. Our listeners, we took a break there to remember, to remind Ben of what the Wicked Man soundtrack actually sounds like. Yep. You don't remember it, do you? No, I don't. I think I must have wiped it from my memory. I can't imagine how anyone could not remember that. <laughs> I, I've been singing that ever since I first saw <laughs> <laughs> I could, uh, Yeah, I know. So you just did a rendition while. Uh, <laughs> what yeah. yeah, well, whilst we were having a break, it was a beautiful rendition, listeners. There were <laughs> gestures involved. Oh, yes, there many were. gestures. There were. I, so, I mean, like it's 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 an odd film. Um, I think we can we think about it. one of the reasons I think that this film sort of defies easy definition is because that it is a blending of genres. This isn't just a horror film. Um, it is a musical. Well, didn't the director? tell the cast they were making a musical at one point did i make that up did i i, I feel like i read that somewhere um I, it's a very good question uh what robin said to me um what robin hardy said to me uh, was that he wished that he had been more aware about the music at the time um so he hadn't thought ahead which meant that they didn't actually release a soundtrack album at the time of the film and actually the soundtrack is one of the things that people loved and ended up seeking out for years so whenever he was planning the Wicker Tree, the sequel. He deliberately planned it as a with, with the music, with the view to releasing the score. Oh, cool. Shame nobody saw the Wicker Tree. There are many reasons for that. Um, but as as a as a musician, Ben, as the only uh, formally musically educated one of the, the three of us, yeah. How does it sit for you? Ah, um, uh, it's it's strange. Um, like, would that put you can, off watching a film, or...? No. Um, the music kind of reflects, sort of, I don't know, the... What's the right right words? Um, the folksy vibe. Yeah, yeah, the, the folksy vibe, the the sort of, you know, I don't know, pagany, you know, dancing around a fire naked singing, you know... Songs to the, the sun and moon, you know, you know. Uh, um, a lot of it lyrically is based on Robbie Burns' poems, um, so he's he's kind of the main influence. And Robbie Burns isn't, you know, he's well, he's venerated as Scottish great poet. Um, he also was quite bawdy himself, which I think people don't really realise. I did not realise that. <laughs> oh, there, there, I've, 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 I've a book somewhere. I'll, I'll never studied you, Robbie Burns. Okay. He was quite what? Quite bawdy, quite mucky. The man was filthy. All oh, right. Um, so I mean, he's he's very concerned with sex and sexuality as well. Uh-huh. So yeah. it makes it, it it does seem to fit in really well with a, a film that is basically about sex and and fertility. I mean, for me, it's it sort of sits alongside everything else that's going on, um, kind of socio 
historically around this, socioculturally, I suppose, around this period. Um, I mean, there is that whole folk revival going on. I know um, there is at least one album in my house, which is one big, long, experimental kind of um, folk epic. Mm. Um, I'm not going to mention the name of it um, in case <laughs> <laughs> there's a massive fan just uh, goes, oh, don't take that name of this in vain. But there is a lot of that kind of folk revival going on at the time. I find it really unusual that it creeps into a horror film. Uh, well, I, no, I don't actually, because there is, um, you know, it's, it's ripe for it, but it's ahead of its time, isn't it? I mean, it's well ahead of its time, The Wicker Man. The only other one I can think of at all off the top of my head is Last House on the Left, um, which David Hess provided a score for that is also quite, um, uh, quite folksy at times. Uh, well, a lot of films, well, maybe, maybe not around this period, but shouldn't there, there's a lot of films that then go on to explore the horror associated with the old religions. This was 70s. 73. Yeah, mm. so it's kind of sort of around the whole hippie flower power kind of. Yeah, it's, it's just after that, that kind of the whole awakening of the, you know, the summer love in 69. Yeah. It's the, the, you know, free love. It's it's, it's the, the introduction. Earth mother of, kind of. So it kind of goes, kind of goes hand in hand really, you know, with the, time period i suppose yeah absolutely and i think it comes through in a lot of a lot of the sort of the culture you look at the time um there's definitely something going on there's definitely a mood in in the air um is it threatening at this period though is it still seen as threatening because there is a sense where the wicker man is kind of exploring that tension isn't there well i think for a large part of the film you're looking at the wicker man you're going to go hey this is cool these guys are like you know very pretty loose and free and they're all like very happy they seemed a bit they seemed a bit Mental to me. They're, they're a wee bit. Um, fair enough, they're a little bit closed as a community, but actually, they also seem quite friendly and, and sociable. And they're putting frogs in their children's mouths. What's an, that's an, oh, I, I, I think to an extent, there's also an awareness that in certain rural areas, okay, some a yeah. lot of these traditions actually still lingered on, that's and they, they still point. do. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I mean, we, you know, again, we're in Ireland, and, and you know, there's certain communities in Ireland where you will still hear reference to the traditional cures. Absolutely, I mean, you'll still find people that wouldn't dream of cutting an ash down and uh, sore, sore throat. throat. Really, mm-hmm. it takes away the, the throat and it cuts, gets the croak instead. <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow! I've never heard that one. Before. You're going to watch this film all over. I'm going to have to watch this film again. Um, yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of that stuff. I, I, I don't know. For me, it it works really well, and I, I think that it's not. I think almost anything at that time can be threatening. I mean, we've had Rosemary's Baby a few years beforehand, which isn't so much about. Um, isn't necessarily just the devil's child or you know uh, William and Kate's child. Uh, <laughs> you're following the memes this week. Um, really? Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> I have not been following the memes this week. Um, but it's also about children and, and birth, and there is a fear of that. I mean, this film actually is, it's partly a fear of, of, of it's about economy. Actually, what this film is actually about really isn't even about religion, it's about economy. The economy is going tits up because the crops have failed. They're not going to be able to make any money. Mm. This is about how we make our money back, and it's, you know, any means necessary. Ooh. It's kind of a capitalist critique, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is actually basically quite a socialist left-wing film for all that it comes at us with a conservative right-wing um, protagonist. I'm not even going to call him a hero because I can't, I just can't decide that he is the hero for all that we're asked to look at it through his eyes. I don't really think... I, I don't think we can map ourselves completely on to Neil High. Can we? Even for a 1970s audience? Mm. 
I, I think he tests most people. I, I think mm. that he actually, um, he, as you said earlier, is a bit of a dick. He is a bit of a dick. <laughs> he comes across quite aggressively, I think. I told him to shut up a few times as I was watching it. <laughs> I think people find it hard to, to get into that, but there is a point where I think he gets your sympathy. And Oh, he definitely does, because, I mean, at the end of the day, what happens to him is horrific by any measure. I mean, and, and oh, he's incredibly sympathetic as, as we watch him trying to, to parse the fact that he is going to die horribly. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, there's there's something really vulnerable, almost childlike about him, and and it's impossible to watch that and not feel deeply disturbed. Um, however, we feel about him as a character, but he spends a lot of his time in that film just being a dick. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. We are a Christian country. We don't do things like this. Um, I, I, again, Northern Ireland, we're very used to this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> These arguments I'm sure I've seen in the news this week. Um, I, I, I think he's... I, I mean, possibly that is part of my problem is that growing up, the, a lot of what Howie represented was an area that I recognise from my own youth. Um, at the same time, the pagan ways was also something that deeply fascinated me, so I was kind of caught in between the two. Um, Do you have to give the guy a bit of a break, though? Like, he's been brought up mm -hmm. a certain way, and this is how this whole community lives, and he's found himself in that community. Um, so, like, it, you know, it's not really right for him to be going, you know, this is wrong, or you should be doing that, but... Which is sort of exactly the point that the film is making. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, they are two ideologies, it's two sets of principles that are kind of clashing, uh, and nobody is entirely right. I think that we're all pretty certain that burning somebody alive is probably a bad thing. Well... Uh, yeah, I, I'm not even going to, even as much as I yelled your dick at the screen multiple times, even I wasn't, I wasn't really gunning for that, to be honest. Maybe, I don't know, kick him in the shin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about the cast on this? Uh, I feel that we, we, we probably need to sort of pay some sort of service to it. Have, have you worked out yet, Rachel, why it is that I told you to watch this film? Because we're watching Hot Fuzz and we're screening Hot Fuzz in a couple of weeks. Do, do you see the connection I yet? absolutely <laughs> see the connection, yeah. I mean, I get a lot from Hot Fuzz even without having seen that film, but it, it really does put the cherry on top. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is it's 100% being... Yeah, Nicholas Angel is um, Neil Howe, uh, only slightly less insufferable, and Nicholas Angel gets a redemptive arc um, and, and, and comes about. I have my own theories. I have many, many theories about the evolution of masculinity in the Cornetto trilogy, which I'm not going to go into here, but um, it's, it's certainly, I mean, he's, he's very, very much playing the ally for the majority of that film. We, we will talk about the, the comparisons between The Wicker Man and Hot Fuzz um, very soon in another show. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the, the cast for this, I mean, it is peppered with, with very distinguished British actors, mm. uh, very recognizable figures, you know, from, from Brett Eklund and, and, uh, Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee, uh, Ingrid Pitt. Um, None of them, in fact, Scottish, interestingly. No, Lindsay Kemp. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's very thin on, on actual Scottish actors, um, for whatever reason. Edward Woodward's accent is quite possible, I say, as somebody who's not Scottish and, and, and doesn't have a great ear for it, but it sounded fine to me. Where, where was this filmed? Scotland. Scotland. Dunfries and Galloway. Couldn't find a Scottish actor, actor apparently, though. Wow. Yeah. Um, that is the way it is. Um, so, one of the, the, the big debates about this film as well is uh, whether or not this, you know, what is it that makes this film actually any good? Yeah. Um, so, Robin Hardy is the director. Now, we, we talked about auteur 
theory before and the idea that the director is the guy who really leads the way. Um, I'm going to argue, I'm going to put this out there myself, that actually this film is not a success because of Robin Hardy. I think I would wholeheartedly agree. I think Robin Hardy's a competent director, but I think that it's the, 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 the combination of talent that was involved in this film that actually made it the success that it actually was. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know the film a lot better than I do, Robert, but um, I have to say, watching the film, I'm not struck by any particular directorial brilliance. In fact, sometimes I feel like the, the directing is kind of jumping in my face, um, particularly, I mean, there's a lot of of um, sort of extreme close-ups and close-ups that kind of go, look at the thing! Oh, it, is, it is the early 1970s, there's a lot of extreme I, close-ups. No, I'll, 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 I'll give you that, I will give you that, but um, to me, I think if one was to try and isolate the thing that made this film such an enduring success and, and um, so passionately beloved by so many fans... I don't think you could point to one single thing. I think you have to do to point to the fact that everything that goes into it is so bloody unique. I mean, it's 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 a film that stands on its own, doesn't it? I mean, it's it's kind of at least at its time. I know it's it's been imitated since um, and and parodied and homaged and referenced until you know ad infinitum, mm. but. There's, it's unique. There's nothing like it. It's its own thing. It's unapologetically its own thing. And that's where I say, I feel like it's almost an accident that it turned into what it is. Um, you know, if you were to say, right, okay, we're going to do this film. Um, it's going to have nudity. Um, it's going to have a teeny bit of gore. It's going to have singing. We're, uh, we're periodically going to hold up the narrative and just have some singing and nobody's going to do anything <laughs> terrifying until the final sort of five minutes or so. Also, there's a dead kid. Um, what, what person goes, yeah, let's green light that? Um, it's just a complete oddity. It's completely of its time. Uh, and while it doesn't quite make me go, yes, I must definitely watch this over and over again, I can absolutely see why people are passionately devoted to it. Um, I, I think um, th- th- there's a few things there for me. I, I, I realise this week I am very much singing in defence of a film that I love, which is terrible. Hey, um, I made you guys watch The Room. What can I say? Stop bringing it up. Ben's crying No, already. it's a great film and I love it very much. It's uh, not a great film, but it's a great film. No, it's not. It's, it's really not. <laughs> I, I think the idea that this is a kind of wonderful mistake is, is true. I mean, film is an ensemble, uh, and it does take that, that combination of talents to make something work. So I think you've got a cast that actually predominantly works. They work really well off each other. Um, I think one of the things that often is overlooked is the cinematography. Okay, yeah. Which in this is stunning. At various points, but for me, it's always that shot right at the end as the Wicker Man is collapsing against the sunset. Oh, that's outstanding! It's like, oh my god, I can't believe they caught that because that this is on film. This is unbelievable shot and so very beautiful and and encapsulates absolutely everything that the film is talking about in that one shot. Absolute economy. I mean, that is absolute cinematic greatness happening in front of your eyes right there. Harry Waxman was an excellent cinematographer. Um, I think the score is is fantastic. And actually, you mean, a lot of the music in this film is also diegetic. Yes, which is the weirdest thing. So you understand diegetic and non-diegetic then? Refresh my memory. I can't remember if we talked about this already on the show. Um, the idea of diegetic music is music that happens within the actual context of the film. It's fil- so if you're if you've got a scene and you're going into a ballroom and the people are playing ballroom music, that's your diegetic music. It's music right, that yeah. actually comes within the, the the world of the film. Right, yeah. Non-diegetic music is that sort of music that composers stick over the top of the film to kind right. of go. Okay. This is how you feel. You will be scared. 
Right, and, yeah. In my seminars, I, I play a little game of diegetic or non-diegetic with my students. It's a laugh a minute. <laughs> Everyone loves it when I do that. So most of the music in this film is diegetic. And I think that's one reason why it works. It all lives within that film. You know, it's the music of the people. It's the music of the, the, the countryside. It gives it its slightly uneasy quality, even to the point where you've got that funereal march at the end. Um, this is actually the music that they're playing, which is also, I have to say, the reason why, one of the reasons why I loathe the, the Neil Butte remake. Where I thought that didn't happen. It it, it shouldn't have. <laughs> I actually paid to see that. It was that bad. Did you? I did. Oh. I was writing my thesis at the time. But oh, um, dear. the thing about that film is that they have some of those processions and that diegetic music, and they then stick a score on top of it. Right. Really? Oh, yeah. I've, n- I've never seen it. So, so they've completely missed what makes the that point. eerie then. Yeah. They've just completely... Oh, that that's just... Neil Boots a competent director. What's going would, on there? Why would they do that? I, I actually have no idea, but it completely ruins the whole vibe. So what you've, you've actually got what, what, what kind of makes it the Wicker Man, and then they go and stick something else on. Makes because it the, the whole point of it is that it's so weird that it's happening. I mean, it's just... It's it, it's so very much of the sort of hippy-dippy islanders who are a little bit sinister and a little bit odd and a little bit living in a completely separate world, all of their own, that they just periodically break into song. They sing a song about how Willow's easy, and then they, they sing a lovely song about how your man's losing his virginity upstairs, and then she sings a little I'm Gonna Seduce You song now. And it's just accepted. It's just what you do when you live on Summer Isle, you just periodically break into song. If you then put a score <laughs> over that, it's like going, ha ha, look at the thing these people do. But here, we're going to stick more music on on top of that because I've completely misunderstood why that was good in the first place. That annoys me. I, and so it should do. The Wicker Man, I think, in essence, though, is, isn't even a horror film. It's not even a musical. It's actually just a murder mystery. It's, it is a thriller about a missing girl. This is a detective drama as well. Um, do you think people call it a horror because of Christopher Lee? Yeah. Okay. I, I think well, and that and it's a human sacrifice. That too. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> and, is quite horrific. And the blood horrific. and guts and stuff that you said earlier. Um, the severed human hand being set on fire and stuff. Yeah. Slightly uh, horrifying. The missing girl. Yes. Rowan. Is she actually missing? No. Well, she is. Well, she she's not present <laughs> for most of it, and it is heavily implied that she's dead or about to be sacrificed, which is pretty horrific too. She, she's been re- <laughs> the suggestions that she's been reborn. Um, there's a lot of subterfuge on it. Um, so she, <sighs> there's a bit where there he's asking, "Have you seen this girl?" And he passes around a photograph. No, I've not seen her. No, no, I don't recognise her at all. No, I've never seen her. What's her name? I, you know. There's a lot of deliberate obfuscation. They're trying to hide what they know about her yeah. and about her. Um, but everybody in this film is is a complicit player. Even High, without realizing it, he's he's an, the unwilling fool, but he is a complicit player in what happened. He he voluntarily ends up being part of the the whole mess. Yeah. But um, for me, this is a detective thriller as well. So this actually came uh, on a double bill originally with Don't Look Now. Which for me is like the best double bill of films ever. Um, it's all my, my kind of other favorite film. I don't think I've, I've seen that. Don't look now. I'm going to make you watch this one. It I, is. I I saw it even though the ending had been spoiled for me long ago, and I was still terrified I, by I, that don't, film. Don't spoil it for me. Um, I'm no, I, I, I'm not spoiling. We it might for actually have to have it as an event, or I'm going to have we to like definitely have to do that. Or, or you know, we're going to I'm going to sit you down. We're going to do it, watch it before we do a podcast at okay. some point. Okay. Did I mention I saw Don't Look Now on my honeymoon for the first time? <laughs> It's a honeymoon kind of film. It, it definitely is. Maybe um, not. <laughs> but so they were both billed together, double billed. So one after, but also, I mean, without going into spoilers for Don't Let Now, I mean, Don't Let Now is also very much a, a kind of a, a, about a, an absent girl, and it's a bit of a mystery, and it's a bit of a chase film as well. It's also kind of 
culturally situated horror. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, it's, it's an interesting double bell watching them back mm. to back. But this is also, I, th- I think, that the other party in this is not just Robin Hardy, it's Anthony Schaefer, who's the yeah. screenwriter of this. Now, Schaefer had also... Have you seen any of his other work? I have not. So no. Schaefer also... I wrote, read about the, the proposed uh, follow-up to The Wicker Man. That's an interesting... Well, t- <laughs> t- t- two, Schaefer's, um, t- two Schaefer films that I love, uh, Sleuth. Which oh so Slith, okay Sleuth is Schaefer. Um, Sleuth is a basically it's a it's a cop film. It's also a bit of there's an awful lot of um, <laughs> it's another mystery. There's more uh, confusion and things are not always what they seem. It right. seems to be a thing that really he, he gets into quite well. Yeah, it's Michael Caine and Lawrence Olivier in the film. Um, something I'd love to do as a play one day. There's a play version of it. Uh, the other one is Frenzy. Hitchcock's Frenzy is a Tony Schiavo uh, film as well. I didn't know that either. Okay, so again, you know, you've got a bit of murder, you've got a bit of mystery, you've got a kind of a chase and, and, hmm. and, you know, mistaken identities and things as well. So I think these are, I think this is, it, this is actually Schiavo's film. It's not Robin Hardy's. Now, Robin Hardy, I knew Robin slightly. So I kind of, when I talk about him and about his films, I think it's fair to say that his films were not amazing always. Uh, the Fantasist I quite like. It's, it's it was at one point regarded as the worst film ever to come out of Ireland. It's got some competition. <laughs> it does it does? Uh, it's not that bad, um, but it definitely has a bad reputation. And The Wicker Tree. So he only really did the th- three films. Um, the Wicker Tree is an attempt to follow up The Wicker Man. Uh, so Christopher Lee was meant to kind of play the the kind of the starring kind of Lord Summerall character again, but mm-hmm. he was filming Hammers the Resident in New Mexico, tripped over a cable and bust his back, oh and wasn't able to shoot like the whole part so they had to recast it would have been Christopher Lee Joan Collins and Sean Aston that were in that film as well and Hugh McGregor was lined up for a cameo oh, wow. okay. suddenly you've got a cast that actually makes it sound far more interesting and, and, and something that actually you could have bought into but ultimately they went for people who maybe were not so well known I think the idea of it I'll, I'll buy a piece about this at some point I think it's, it's, it's a competent enough idea it plays a lot of the same themes but it doesn't have that magic combination of talent mm. that The Wicker Man does yeah um, I mean that's an exceptional cast um, and they're having a lot of fun with it as well by the looks of things. They are enjoying the material. Um, uh, Christopher Lee particularly does seem to be sort of going, I mean, I know he was, the, the idea behind it was, I don't want to be cut typecast in, in hammer horror sort of. I want to kind of break out from that. So what I will do is I will be in another horror film. Um, with a mad wig. With a mad wig. It is mad. And it's brilliant. The last, the last sequence where he's on the cliff and his hair is just going, dandelion! It's <laughs> fabulous. I love it. Um, yeah, Lee, uh, was basically one of the big supporters of the film. So th- th- this film really only found its place in the end of the 1970s. It did the, a bit like Rocky Horror. Yeah. It ended up finding its market in going some cinema to cinema across the US. On Blade Runner. Lee actually went round um, with Robin Hardy and they basically went to each of the towns that it was playing in and they did personal appearances and stuff and tried to encourage people to come out and that's where it kind of got its cult status uh, from. Not much later on, I was obviously it's quite well respected today, but at mm. the time it was this long, slow build. Lee had, I think, invested in it as well. Um, well, he worked for free, I think, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, it's an interesting film. So I, I could go on talking about the Worker Man all day. Um, I just wanted to make sure that you'd watched it, uh, because we are, I mean, we're doing a live event uh, in a couple of weeks on Hot Fuzz. Yeah, and it is actually, it, it's. I'm really glad that I saw that in advance of of the Hot Fuzz screening. Um, it really does deepen. I mean, I love Hot Fuzz. It's one of my all time favourites. Edgar Wright, I think, is is one of the greatest genre directors working currently or perhaps ever. Mm. Um, and I think Hot Fuzz is pitch perfect. Um, 
having seen The Wicker Man, I've now got a whole new layer of understanding of hot fuzz and where it's coming from. Um, so, yeah, um, much as you, you will eventually thank me for introducing you to the room, thank you for introducing me to The Wicker Man. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll do that one. We're going to record that. That that that's a live event. We're going to record that. And we're going to issue it as a podcast in a few weeks as well. I, I do feel that the one thing that we didn't really get into was in the the kind of the remakes and the reimaginings and the kind of the the tributes that have been paid to the Wicker Man. I mean, it has become one of those things when people talk about. Th- keep reading this. When people talk about things being a bit Wicker Manny, we sort of know what they mean. It's about these little weird local communities that are. I knew what what they meant even without having seen the film. That's how resonant the film is within uh, popular culture. Um, I I that that sequence at the end is iconic um, whether or not one has seen the film oh. so yeah I, I would agree it's absolutely under the cultural skin I think we, we talked about Hufflepuff I think we talked about the League of Gentlemen kind of playing off on it as well which Ben needs to watch at pain of death <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was dragged to it and I ended up loving it um, it, there's a if you, if you haven't heard it, since we talk about music as well, there's a band called Candidate, uh, and they did an album called Nuada, and it's basically an alternative Wicker Man soundtrack. Uh, my friend Graham Duff used to uh, use one of their themes as the uh, theme tune for Ideal, the BBC Three sitcom. Okay. Which that was how I got into it. I didn't realise that they'd done this. Um, the other thing you may remember the Radiohead song from I think a year or two oh, ago, yes. Burn the That's right. not Burn the Witch. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's like I, Trumpton I, wheats the microman. I kind of write Radiohead completely out of my 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 immediate life. Yeah, so. it's not really a band I uh, listen to. The video is awesome. I um, have heard that the video was basically a shot by shot remake of the Wicker Man. Yeah, it, it, it's it's Trumpton meets the Wicker Man. Uh, Trumpton meets the Wicker Man. Actually, I kind of need to see that. Trumpton. No, Trumpton <laughs> meets the Wicker Man. <laughs> We'll post that up on the website at some point over the next week. I think we should. I think I'll stick a load of these on so people can scroll back and we'll do a page on the website that just combines all these influences. Uh, And the Muppet Wicker Man, have you seen that? I have not seen that, but I'm gonna. Why have I not shared the Muppet Wicker Man (laughs) with either of you? Um, First thing I'm going to do when I get home. It's like this comic book version of the Wicker Man told with the Muppets instead. Oh, Oh, cool. And it kind of makes you think, I really wish that they would stop doing things like you know, Muppets Wizard of Oz. I want to see the Muppet Wicker Man. Let's go really, really dark with the Muppets version. Oh, what about the Muppet Hostel? Oh, Rachel, you're a silly, twisted girl. I am. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Kickstarter. Kickstarter. I'm not sure uh, Disney will be very keen on that one. No, uh, I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm the only person with imagination sometimes. <laughs> um. So, look, I'm, I'm glad you kind of watched this. Uh, I as I say, I could talk about this a lot. I, I wrote my MA thesis on this, and at some point I will have to share some of the ramblings that I've got on that. Um, we will stick some stuff up on the website. Um, yeah, so if you haven't already, uh, we are at www.cinepunks.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll probably find our way onto other social media at some point. Um, so do give us a follow. Um, do give us a like. Uh, you'll find out more about our podcasts, our live events, and whatever else we decide to throw into the mix. And you can just argue with us about whether or not we're right about things. I, I'd love to have some more discussions with our, our, our readership because it's it's always entertaining yeah. when, we, when we do get them. Um, so basically that's us for tonight, uh, or for today, or for this morning, or if you're an insomniac. Um <laughs> That, that weird mystical world in between the two. Yeah. So thanks as ever for listening, and I will remind you of the voices that you've heard. Uh, I am Robert J. Simpson. I'm Rachel Kelly. I'm Ben Simpson. And uh, yeah, tune into us again very very soon. And if you don't already, you know, give us a, a, a 
what's the thing on iTunes? Subscribe. Subscribe to us on your chosen podcast distributor of choice, please. And if you are subscribed or listening and you like what you've heard, give us a review. If you don't like what you've heard, write nasty letters to us instead. Or tweet us. Nastily. Until the next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. I didn't burn him!